BAM Radio Network. When people are getting stressed out, they ask people, does this circumstance change our vision? No. Okay, if it doesn't change our vision, then we need to figure out how do we still pursue our vision under these circumstances? And that gives people hope. Welcome to ASCD Connect, supporting your journey as a life-changing educator. Here's your host. Education is in a period of unpredictability and rapid, unexpected change. Are your school strategic planning processes equipped to handle this new reality? What changes might you need to make to become more nimble and responsive? I'm Anthony Rabora, Editor-in-Chief of ASCD's Educational Leadership. I'm joined today by Robin Jackson, a former teacher and administrator who's now a leadership coach and the CEO of MindSteps, Inc., She's the author of many influential books, including most recently, Stop Leading, Start Building. And we are going to talk with her today about the problem with annual school improvement planning, which is the title of a really timely and thought-provoking article she's published in the March issue of Educational Leadership. Welcome, Dr. Jackson. Wonderful to have you on with us. So I love this article because it's very nuts and bolts. It's very practical, and yet it goes into some really important big picture issues as well. So basically, you make the case that one of the most basic strategic tools that school leaders have, the annual school improvement plan, can actually be a hindrance. Can you tell us why? Most of us write school improvement plans, but when we write them, we are usually doing it over the summer and trying to predict what the year is going to look like. And so we set these ambitious goals in the summertime without realizing that so many things happen during the school year that will change it. So we end up putting ourselves on this school improvement hamster wheel where we are always starting from behind, always starting with new goals and trying to kind of catch up to those goals, even though the school year throws all kinds of things at us. We leave ourselves kind of vulnerable to this this feeling of failure from the very beginning because we're writing a school improvement plan that isn't rooted in the reality of the day-to-day of what's happening during the school year. Right, especially a year like this. So you you recommend shortening improvement plans to 90-day cycles. In your experience, how hard is that for a school to shift to that kind of cycle? Well, it's really hard because most districts still demand a school improvement plan and oh. the school improvement plans are really prescriptive. So a lot of districts will say you have to write a goal about reading, a goal about math, a goal about SEL, a goal about parent engagement. And so the district forces you into a format that is really artificial and doesn't reflect the reality of what's happening in your school. So even if you want it to, in a lot of cases, you still have to submit a year-long improvement plan. And so it's really hard to then do double work, submit an improvement plan for your district, but then use a more realistic plan for your school that works in those 90-day cycles. Right. And so getting back to all those elements in the district plan, one one of the things you say is that these 90-day plans should really focus on one main thing and what you call the biggest constraint that the school is facing right now. So what would be an example of a constraint that would focus that would be a focus of a plan like this? So a lot of times at the beginning of the school year, we're creating school improvement plans based on last year's data. And last, you know, you can make data say whatever you want it to say. But what you do when you're writing a school improvement plan the way that I propose is that instead of just focusing on last year's data, you look at what is your bigger vision for your school? What does success look like for 100% of your students? And then ask yourself, okay, how do I create that success 
in this plan? What's the biggest thing that's getting in the way of our creating that success? So when you're thinking in 90-day plans, instead of trying to create some sort of incremental goal, like a 5% improvement in reading or whatever it is your district is asking you to do, you start with your bigger vision for your school. And you ask yourself, what does success look like for 100% of our students? And when you think of it that way, your constraint becomes a lot more obvious because instead of just trying to eke out tiny little incremental gains, you are actually creating, you're trying to look at that bigger picture and what is the next step we need to take to get to 100%. So an example might be, let's say that you're saying that you want 100% of your students to be reading at or above grade level by grade two. Then an example of a constraint might be that you're looking at your students who are coming in and they're reading two or three grade levels below grade level starting in kindergarten. And so you made some gains in kindergarten, you made some gains in first grade, but you realize that your biggest constraint right now is that the students are not spending enough time reading at home. Mm -hmm. So you spend your next 90 days trying to figure out how do we create the conditions for students to spend more time reading independently. And it doesn't necessarily have to be home, but but you might want to build it into the school day. You might want to find another way. But you're saying that if our students don't spend more time reading independently, we're never going to get to that 100% success. So that's the first big obstacle we need to tackle right now. I see. So, but why focus on only one thing? Don't most schools have a number of constraints that are happening at any one time? Yeah, but not all of those constraints are the big thing that's getting in the way. So. I'd like to think of it when you're thinking of the one thing you're thinking of the root cause, you know, now I know when we say that SIP plans always ask you to do these root cause analyses, right? So you do something like the five whys exercise and you keep asking why, 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 and then you end up in this circular reasoning. So that's not what I'm proposing when I'm talking about the root cause. When you think about it this way, you're thinking about if we're going to move forward, what is the one thing that we have to get out of our way? or we won't be able to move forward. When you think about it that way, you don't waste time doing these root cause analyses that get at, you know, things that you kind of already knew. Instead, it's very practical. It's saying that, okay, so if we change this, will it change our outcomes? No? Okay, so even though that's a problem, it's not our biggest problem right now. And you keep digging until you find the one thing that's holding you back. And once you find that one thing and you remove it, it opens up everything else. It, all the other problems get better. If you work on those symptoms and you never get to the one thing that's holding you back, then you work really hard, but you have nothing to show for it because you haven't solved the real problem. I see. That, that's really helpful. Um, so another mistake you say leaders make in planning is that they focus only on lagging indicators as opposed to leading indicators. Yeah. What's the difference and why does it matter? So lagging indicators are the outcome. So we're focusing on things like test scores. And usually we get those test scores after the fact, after the year is over. So we build a whole SIP plan saying that in the spring, our students are going to take these reading tests or these math tests, and we're going to show gains on those tests. And then we don't get those test results back until the summer. So -hmm. we're spending all year working towards a wish, a hope, a dream. And we don't know whether or not our efforts are going to make a difference on the outcome outcome because we're focusing on changing a lagging indicator. So what I propose is that when you work in these 90-day cycles, you don't focus on an end of a test score. You focus instead on the leading indicators. What are the different behaviors that we can change right now that if we change these behaviors, we believe will have a big result on the end result? So you've talked in your recent work, including in your book, about leaders needing to see themselves as builders rather than just leaders. Yes. So how is this kind of planning an example of that? 
So when you're a leader and you're trained as a leader, you're trained to do these year-long plans, to set these goals, and to water down your goals to what you feel will be achievable in a year. And as a result, you end up basically maintaining the status quo. Yes, you may show some tiny tweak here, or some little gain there, but you don't see those big gains because leadership is designed to kind of maintain. It's not designed to transform. When you're a builder, however, you're not working the current system. You're always trying to figure out, how do I make a better system? How do I build something that's going to be better? So when you set a vision, for instance, as a leader, you set a vision that's very aspirational, um, that may be very generic in general. Uh, but when you set a vision as a builder, you're setting something very specific. I mentioned an example earlier of 100% of our students are going to be reading at our above grade level by second grade. And then you don't just try to tweak your way to your goal. You realize you're not going to get there with the school that you have. The school that you have is giving you the results that it was designed to give you. So when you think as a builder, you start thinking, what would our school have to look like in order for that vision to be true? And then you go out and build that school. So you're not leading people towards a goal. You're building something and inviting people to step into that something with you. Got it. That's a great way to think about it. So just to bring in some of the current issues in schools, we're seeing a lot of reports about educators really struggling this year amid all the stresses of the pandemic, lots of signs of burnout and possible attrition. What advice are you giving to school leaders in this context? How can they respond in a way that's practical and constructive? So again, you got to get to the root cause. And if you are a school that doesn't have a strong enough and a compelling enough vision then it's easy to get distracted and mired down by the very real concerns that are happening in schools right now. The people who are able to, to build their way through this crisis, they're recognizing that there are some things that are and conditions that exist right now that are now untenable for their teens, for their educators, for their teachers, for their students, for the families. And so instead of trying to tweak their way towards, you know, just survive getting through this by making these tweaks here or giving people a day off there, or releasing people from a meeting here. Those things don't solve the problem. What builders are doing is they're saying, okay, what can we build that will withstand this crisis? And what can we anchor in that will give everybody a sense of, of, of stability when we feel so unmoored by all the things that are going on right now? The message that builders are giving is not, how do we survive this crisis? and self-care our way through this crisis and get our way to the other side. What builders are saying is that we have an opportunity now to build something better. And that gives people hope, that gives people energy, that keeps people from wasting time and getting exhausted in work that doesn't matter. It gets people focused on work that does matter and helps people believe that they can still make a difference even under these circumstances. And that's why the schools that are being led by builders are actually becoming better as a result of the crisis and not being demoralized by it. It's a really interesting perspective. Thank you to Robin Jackson for sharing her ideas and expertise. And thanks to all our listeners. I hope you will join us again to read Robin Jackson's article and others in our March issue on adaptive leadership. Go to www.asd.org el. If you like the ASD Connect podcast, you'll enjoy listening to Super Speaks with Mark Sparvel wherever you get your podcast. Check it out. You've been listening to ASD Connect, supporting your journey as a life-changing educator. Thanks for listening. This program is produced by Accretive Media for the BAM Radio Network. Thanks for listening.